0: Sit back and think about all the stuff you've done. I'm talking about not not the stuff that people know about. I'm talking about the stuff that you, you don't want anybody to know about. In fact, you don't really want to remember it yourself. And you look back sometime and you say, Was that me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Some of them were mistakes. Some of them were intentional. Yeah, they just are regrets at this point. But you were deliberate about what you were doing. In fact, sneaky about what you were doing. Getting over on folks, looking out for you. In spite of all I've done. Yeah. Sing, Sing that with your unsanitized mind. With, with your unsanctified mind, with your late at night, two o'clock in the morning mind. Yeah, when we think things go on, sing with that memory in place. And then, remember, he keeps on. Yeah, when I wasn't looking out for myself, when I didn't have sense enough to look out for myself, he keeps on looking out. For me, I'm reminded in scripture of a righteous man. His name was Job. Job prayed for his children. When his children were on his way out, All right, daddy, we holler at you, we're going out to the club tonight. That's what they say in the Bible. Say when they were in revelry, when they were celebrating, Job, when they went out the door to go get their crunk on, he went to his knees and said I'm going to pray for you. In case they forget about you. While they are in revelry, I'm going to pray, I'm going to cover you in prayer right now because they just might get too drunk to look up to who's causing them to have all the blessings. I'm not making that up. That's what it says in the Bible. He said that he would pray for them when they went out. I wonder who was praying. No, I know who's praying for me. I know who's praying for me. And I'll tell you like this they were praying for me, and I wasn't praying for myself. Amen. To be honest with you, that was that was not on my mind. No. I, it was, in fact, in for fact, y'all, it was the furthest thing from my mind at that point in time, and God kept me. He kept me through stupidity, and I made a promise to him that I'd at least warn folk. I'd at least try to tell them. Don't put yourself in that situation. And I don't care how good you think your child is. I don't care how respectful they are. I don't care how much they talk to you. They don't tell you everything. It just don't happen. And so I learned a long time ago not to say anything my children wouldn't do. Because I don't know the circumstances that they find themselves in. I hope they don't. I pray they don't, but but who knows what they find themselves in? And as they've gotten older, I've been I've had to clutch my pearls. Oh, now they want to act all unhood. Yeah, but my mama would have been the same way. Oh yeah, oh yeah, my two innocent children yes 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 yeah! keep on praising him like that Pooh. come on <laughs> throw your hands up <laughs> oh yeah yeah we all got stuff we didn't want to pull mom and daddy to the side and say look it I did this none of us but he keeps on looking out for me we, 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 we preached that last Sunday if you were here yeah, the hero who became a zero. Popular inscription, Everybody loved him. Had every advantage in the world you could think of when he was growing up. Had the best of life. Yeah, all he had to do was keep his promises and his vows to the Lord, and he gave away his promise for a woman for the attention of a woman who had better skills than he did. He was brilliant, but he wasn't smart enough to deal with a cunning woman who had nothing but devil men on her mind. And she ruined his life after he invited her in. It wasn't her. It was him. It was him. He let her in the door and thought he was smarter than her and everybody else, and it ended up costing him his, his life. More importantly, it ended up costing him his, his hard fought reputation for being a devoted man of God. So that ended our series on flawless, I mean, I'm mean flawed heroes. Flawed heroes, because all of them come with a little something. Everybody's got some kryptonite that they have to deal with in their life. There's something that weakens every man and woman. And you do well to find out what your kryptonite is because it'll weaken you. And so the Lord led me in a different direction this Sunday. We're back in the Old, we're in the Old Testament still and we're in Exodus. And there is a story there. There is a person there you may have heard of, maybe you haven't, it's found around the 17th chapter, and I want to start reading around the 8th verse, I think, and if you'll allow me to read for a few verses, I think it'll come into focus who we're talking about. And the word of God reads this, If you got it, say amen. If you, if you don't have it, say not yet. All right, we'll wait on you. It's going to be displayed as well, but I know sometimes you want to look at it in your own Bible or on your own device. All right, the word of God reads as follows. The Amalekites came and attacked Verse 11 reads, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And then Aaron and Hur held his hands up. One on one side and one on the other. So that his hands remain steady till sunset. And then verse 13 13 capstones the message by saying, so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. It should probably read, because of that, Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. In that passage of scripture, there is a man that many of you may have never heard of in scripture. Moses, we know, he's perhaps the most famous patriarch of the Old Testament. Movies have been made of him, contemporary movies, telling us about his exploits. And then his brother, not as well known as Moses, but You know, he's not unheard of in scripture. His name is Aaron. He became the high priest. But right alongside Moses and Aaron pops up a name that many of you may have never heard of. Simple name. His name is Hur. H-U-R. I started to uh, entitle this message Growing Hurs. All right? Growing hers. But I thought in reflection that might be a little confusing to folk down the road. So I want to talk contemporarily from this notion, second chair saints. All right. Second chair saints. Second chair saints. A second chair leader is a person who is subordinate in his role but whose influence in a particular environment or situation aids the value of the whole organization. All right? Not the person in charge, but equally important to the outcome of any activity or the overall mission of the organization. There is, A person who reports to somebody else that somebody else is typically called the first chair. And is therefore, the other person is therefore subordinate, up under that person. Yeah. But the role that the second person holds is day-to-day crucial to the success Of any team, group, ministry, church, and yet most of all that person is probably unheard of. Nobody knows who that person is. Nobody sees this person on a regular basis. In fact, when the history of the organization is written, That person's name won't be listed. Won't be listed. The truth of the matter is, pastors get a lot of credit for a whole lot of things. But church is successful. Then the pastor gets the out of boys. If not successful, then he gets the hay boys. (laughs) You, boy, (laughs) he gets that, too, but typically in history, if you go back and pull the history of 45th Street right now, you're going to see a list of pastors included in that history. Not many in our 100 and, what is it, 104 years history? Not many. 14, more than that. But not many. Eight years. Thank you. I'm trying to get there. Couldn't get to my toes fast enough. <laughs> 108 year history. I think it's nine, but uh, 109 I think <laughs> year history. The next year, yes, it's, it's, it's 109. At any rate, nobody's name is listed on that line but the pastor. How in the world, 109 years? that nine men make a church function all these many, many years. All the things that have happened just this morning. Just to get this worship service started. You know, the worship service was well underway before I even walked into the sanctuary. (laughs) Clearly somebody had been doing something before I got here. The problem with Second chair Saints is that you have to understand your position. You gotta understand what it means to be in that role and be accepting of that role. Because otherwise, it can create confusion. Not only can it create confusion for people, you confuse yourself and create more problems than promise with that role. And so we see a situation in Scripture that clearly identifies how important what I call second chair saints are. The Amalekites are in the way cast of the promised land. The children of Israel are stuck at Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea is the paradise in the middle of the desert that the Israelites have gotten to and had to stay in that place for all these years because they didn't have faith enough to go in and occupy the promised land when the Lord led them there and so he had to wait until the whole generation of disbelievers or unbelievers died out because he wouldn't let those folk who didn't believe go into the promised land and so they are there but even while they're there they're having to fight excursions they're having to fight intruders and people coming in and, and bothering them remember now If you don't understand the scope of the number of people who were delivered from Egypt, then it's hard to understand what's going on. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of people into the millions are camped out in the desert. Clearly somebody's going to be paying attention to them. Clearly they have resources that the other nomadic tribes don't have, and those tribes are going to come try to take that stuff from them. Just on the Exodus, from Egypt. They grabbed everything they had. Imagine now, you're leaving Birmingham and they tell you, go home, get everything you got. Put it in the car, or on the, tr- on the uh, at that point, on the wagon, or on the animal. Put it on there and go. What do you go home and get? You go get your most valuable stuff. That's what they did. (laughs) They went and got gold and they had some and silver and earrings and they got all that stuff. Well, they're going through the desert with all this stuff. That's valuable to other people. And they want that. And so they're having to fight. That's how Joshua became a man of war living in the desert. Because we start out in the scripture by telling you clearly. Moses said, come here Joshua. All right." I need you to go handle these Amalekites because Moses was the leader but he wasn't the warrior he wasn't in charge of the protection of the camp that was Joshua's job to make sure he had enough men of war who could protect the people in the desert but Moses gave him his marching orders and the Bible didn't say once he said Joshua go out and deal with the Amalekites who just attacked us, the Bible says that Joshua went. Because that was his job. He went and he got the soldiers together and they started battling. Uh, When you look in, you can Google just about anything, but you ain't gonna find no authentic pictures. You can't of what was happening then. And so the picture that I used on this slide is perhaps as 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 you know informative as you can imagine. They're in the valley fighting. Moses takes a high position. By God's instruction and God tells him, "Take the rod that I gave you." The rod that has bewildered Pharaoh the rod that you used to let pharaoh know that i'm god take that rod that has the one you used to open the sea take that rod and hold that rod there's no power in the rod know this there's no power in that rod the rod is a symbol of god's presence and so when he says hold a rod up over the fighting what he's saying is hold me up over the fighting. And as long as I am, I'm going to give you some teaching, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord your banner. As long as you hold me up and the folk can see me, then they'll win. But when my arms come down, when your arms come down and they can't see me, then the enemy can get the advantage. I hope somebody sees some relevance today. I wonder if we're holding up the banner today. I wonder if they can see us holding up the banner. Whose job is it to hold up the banner so the folks who are at war out there in the streets can see that God is still over us? Is it just the pastor's job? To hold the banner up? We'll say the blood-stained banner. Is it just my job to hold a bloodstained banner up? Because I got news for you, just like Moses, if it's just my job, my arms get tired. I can't hold up the banner by myself. It's impossible for me to do it. I need help holding up the banner, and along comes Aaron. And along comes her, and they quickly recognize that there is a solution to the frailty of Moses. We're talking about Moses is clocking on a hundred and some years old at this point. If you don't know Moses' history, Moses lived his life in 40-year increments. He was in Pharaoh's temple for 40 years before he murdered an Egyptian defending a Hebrew man who was being beaten. Yeah, yeah, this is a George Floyd situation in Egypt. And Moses came to the man's rescue, and because of that, Pharaoh put a most-wanted poster out for him. This is the same Moses that had been raised in the temple with Pharaoh. Yeah, they grew up together, played together, learned all their strategy, went to school together. This same man, but Pharaoh put a warrant out for him. And so Moses runs to the desert in witness protection. Oh, yeah. And he stays there for 40 years before God comes and tells him the absolute craziest thing in the world. Basically God says I want you to go turn yourself in to the Egyptians. And when you go in there and report yourself to Pharaoh who put the warrant out for you 40 years ago, I want you to tell them I sent you. God had to convince Moses that he was going to be with him. And part of that convincing included God giving him cast an instrument of his presence. And the instrument of his presence was the rod. And so as long as Moses has had that rod with him, he's been able to accomplish everything God told him to accomplish, including getting the people out of Egypt. And so after that, he knows, when I use this rod, God is in charge. And so holding the rod up means something. But even me, with my history with God, even though me and God have been through some things, even though God has never let me down, as much as I want to do everything God tells me to do, even in my greatest desire, Rosalind, I can't keep holding this ride up by myself. It doesn't matter how much my desires are, I'm just physically unable to do the work by myself. I need some help. you got to know that it's impossible for any man to do everything by himself. And on that day, we saw that her and Aaron saw that it was possible for them to assist him. And so the Bible says they came up with a very practical answer. As Moses stood there on the top of the mountain, they simply took a rock. And they said, sit down right here, Moses. Because we know you can't stand here all day. That's impossible. So sit down. That's a little bit more comfortable. And even in a seated position, Moses still couldn't hold his arm up. It might have even made it worse, to be honest with you, by sitting down and holding his arms up. And so they simply did what they were, I like this, what they were able to do. They didn't have to go buy anything. They didn't have to get anything unusual. All they used was a little bit of their strength. And they said, I'm going to hold this arm up. Aaron said, and her is gonna hold your other arm up. And all day long, the trio sat there and Moses' arm was steadied and the war was won. Now, now, this is a good outcome for Moses. It's a good outcome for Ben, I mean for her. You got on my mind. You know, let me go on clarify that. So, some of you know of Ben Hur. He is a fictional character. (laughs) All right, you're not gonna find him in scripture. Charlton Heston ain't her. All right, that's not the same character. In fact. If you know the story of Ben-Hur from the movie, the colorized movie, if you know his character, he is a slave who becomes a champion chariot rider. But the underlying theme in the movie is that he devotes his life to Christ, which tells you from a period of time is in the New Testament. It's in the New Testament. Not the same dude. Not Ben her. Don't say that. If you from Forty Fifth Street, don't say that. All right, her. Yeah. Yeah. And interestingly, Ben only means son of. That's all Ben means, son of. And so the slave who was a slave was identified as the son of someone named. Her, yeah. But this dude in the Old Testament's name is Her. Alright? He is Her. And what you're going to find from this Her is that you're not going to see much more mentioned in the Bible about him. Now what I love about this story, about how he was so supportive that day, Tyrone, is that he helped secure a victory. But if you look a little bit further in Exodus, you'll see that even folk who to help secure victories have problems. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it could have been problematic when Moses was going up on the mountain for Aaron and her to come with him. I can see him saying, Come on, Aaron, we're going up on the mountain and uh, help me out. But if history was anything, Aaron and Hur had been in the sight of a problem with the the Israelites. I mean, with the children of Israel. Because when Moses went up on the mountain to secure the Ten Commandments, he left Aaron and Hur in charge. And when he came back, there was chaos in the camp. They had... Now, that' different historical accounts of what happened. None of it grounded in Scripture. And so you have to be careful when you're reading commentaries and they're telling you things, because some of it is just part of Jewish history. But they say, while Moses was gone, the people in the camp grew restless because Moses was gone for so long. And so they start coming at her, looking at him side-eyed. And because of the way they treated her, one version said they got rid of her, Aaron buckled <laughs> and said, all right, if y'all want to make an idol, you can make an idol. So he wouldn't be the next one they got rid of. But there's nothing in history, I mean in the, in the scripture, that validates that. So that's just historical or fables on some part. But the bottom line is we know Moses left those two in charge, and when he came back, he had to straighten things out. So there was a foundation for him not being able to trust them in every situation, even though they were celebrated in this instance. And What are you saying, Andre? That mean, we don't always get it right. I mean, we can do some good things, and we can do some things that are not so good. Yeah, but it's God's grace that gets us through all of those things. Because in the end, the story isn't about Moses. Moses is an instrument just like the rod. He's simply being used by the Lord. Her and Aaron are instruments just like the rod. They're simply being used by the Lord. And when we allow ourselves to be used to our maximum potential, then God can ultimately get the victory and we can help people. So let me give you... Three things, three, four things about, and I'm out of here. I'm just going to mention them and then I'm gone because we've been here long enough. First of all, people like her are always involved. They're always involved. In every church congregation, there are hers there. Every one of them. Every single one of them. Just last Sunday, I want to thank everybody that went over to First Baptist Greymont with us when we went over there and celebrated their church anniversary. And part of the service we were in. Pastor Harper stood up and he said is, uh I forgot the, the gentleman's name, he said, is brother such-and-such such out there? He asked in the congregation. It was a 101-year-old member who was on the parking lot doing security. Came in with his disabled American Vets hat on, marching better than me. Her was on the parking lot. Nobody would have known he was out there. If you got out the car, I promise you wouldn't have known. He was 101 years old, and he was simply out there doing his job. There's always hers around. He didn't say when we got out the car, good morning, Reverend. I'm her. I'm 101 years old, and I'm doing security. He just said, good morning, bro. That's all, just say good morning. This morning when we came in here, the lights didn't say nothing, but we need them. That's how we're to be just serving to the best of our ability. And that brother stayed around, I promise you, I promise you, you would never have imagined he was 101. And he wasn't trying to get no attention, but I came to tell you that they are hers already involved. How early does this building have to be open for us to come in here at 9.30 and function? Who does it? Who makes it happen? Who does that? Who turns on all the lights? Who makes sure in the summer it's cool? And in the winter it's warm? Who does that? Who makes sure Alabama Power gets paid? Because Alabama Power ain't got no church thing. ain't no box on the bill that you can just check church, and they give you your power free. No, sir. Somebody has to put all of that in order and make it happen, just like at your house. Yeah, who does all of those things? How early does the choir have to get here to get ready? Always something has to be done in church. I I know somebody here, what I'm talking about in here. There are always people like her involved. And most of them go without any celebration or acknowledgement, all right? So, people like her are always involved, not only that, they're, all, they're absolutely invaluable. It can't happen without them. It just can't. It cannot happen without them. They're absolutely invaluable. The truth of the matter is, without Moses and her holding up, uh, I mean, without Aaron and her holding up Moses' hand, the people would have lost the war that day, the battle that day. But I wonder how many battles we lose on a daily basis. Simply because we don't have enough people holding up arms. I wonder how many, how many children in our community are lost. Simply because we don't have enough people who are willing to hold up arms. Who are willing to do the small things that need to be done. To make a church operate. One must ask, what is my purpose in this congregation? What do I do? What do I contribute? I'm convinced that there is not one member who comes to a church who doesn't have a role to play in the congregation. You have to ask yourself, what is my role? If you go from year to year to year to year, you're not really looking hard for your role to feel in the church, particularly when you double that down with the needs that are still around us. Sometimes all that's needed for an effective ministry to go forward, is you? Yeah. And I always am amazed at folk who participate in other churches still. They always got time to go to other church functions. But we don't have them same functions here. Yeah, I know you're feeling a little uncomfortable right now. I want you to. Because I didn't come here 20 years ago to have to do everything. I can't. I came here to encourage us all to do something, our thing. And it's not like I haven't sat where you sat, because I have. I found that the best people who can grow into number ones have learned to be effective, number twos. And I sat long enough in the number two seat, and I sat there, and I did what you did, and I caught my mama wrong one day. Cause I came home grumbling about something that the leadership had done. And my mama schooled me real quick. She said, with my mama and my uncle schooled My mama said, if you want it done different, do it. So I, you know, put some cornbread in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I finished eating my meal <laughs> and shut up because she wasn't hearing it because my mama was a solid number two. She didn't have no problem the Sunday Before She went to glory. She was working and dying. Yeah, she was sick. And they said, sit down, darling. You know you don't look like you're strolling. Sit down. She said, I got to do it while I can. I'm not making this up. But I was one of the ones telling her to sit down. Right. The next Sunday, she was gone to heaven. But she schooled me. And then in a more mature conversation with my uncle, y'all know him, Reverend Holman, who's always educating me about something. I was telling him what I thought about a particular thing going on in the church. And he said, your problem, Doc. He got here Doc. He said, your problem, Doc, is you trying to do from the seat what can't be done but from the pastor's seat. I said, ooh. He was right. It was clearly within the purview. Of the pastor to do whatever had to be done and unless I took it up with him the rest of it was just talking So I did I Did didn't change nothing, but I went <laughs> Oh, yeah, because he wasn't scared of my conversation with him, you know why because he was in charge and he had already made up his decision and Just because I had a different way of doing it didn't mean it was gonna be his way of doing it. I learned a lot, not by getting what I want, but by learning process, by learning how to truly be. And it made life so much easier for me at that point, because then I realized what number two was. And I tried to be the best two I could be. We were great. We were great after that because I was content in the space that I was in. And so I realized that people, come to a church under direction from God because God sends them there. It's just not by accident that you fall into a church. That's not by accident. It's by providence that you land where you are. It's by providence that you have the skill set that you have. It's by providence that even on your secular job, you get such and such training. It's by providence that that happens. And God never intended that you wouldn't use those skills in the service of the church. He didn't just give you that so you could increase your 401k. He gave it to you so you could increase the kingdom. Accounting in your secular job can be accounting in the church office. That's how he did it! I know it's how he did it. Pastor Beverly told me when I came to the church, he said, when I first came back after I got the army, he said, well, now we have a lawyer who can represent the church. And I said, yes, sir. I said, yes, sir. And to the best of my ability, whatever I could do from a legal standpoint, and some of it stretched me beyond my capacity, because I was mostly in criminal law, but there were a lot of civil things that needed to be done for the church. I never had an alley condemned so we could build our church over it. I'd never done that before, but the church over there right now, and the alley gone. Because the Lord will give you even the sense you need. When you think you already got it, He'll give you what you need in order to accomplish his mission. All the education from them schools didn't matter. It was what the Lord provided that made it happen. Politics. Tarrant City Council. Going and asking them to condemn that. All of that stuff. Got to go to the county commission to get part of it done. And I sweated it out because I was pleased to give back to the Lord. I wasn't doing it for Reverend Beverly. I was pleased to give back to the Lord what I could give back to him. And it was a blessing to be able to do so. And I watched the man play that example over and over and over again, because when it means something to you, you'll do it because of gratitude to the Lord. People like her are absolutely invaluable, but it's absolutely essential that they have great models to work for. Reverend Beverly at his 25th anniversary celebration called me up, not as Deacon Sparks, but he called me up as the legal advisor to the church, which wasn't no real position, but you know. He, uh, that's what he said. He said, Brother Sparks, I want to give you this document. And before I give you this document, I want to make sure that you understand that this is a gift. He said, I want you and everybody here to know that when I'm no longer the pastor at this church, I don't want my name on nothing. I don't want no room named after me. He said, if in all these years, my name ain't on the hearts of these members, then putting my name on a room ain't going to mean nothing. All right? And then he handed me a document. He said, this is from Sis Jean and I to the church. Now this is his celebration yeah, yeah. for 25 years. And I opened the document and it was a deed to a house. Deed to a house. It was the property that sat next to the church. That he had gone to a business meeting some years before and asked the church to buy. And the church said, no, we don't think we want to do that. They voted it down. So he and his wife bought it, paid the note on it till it was paid off, and then gave it to the church. He said, if I thought it was good enough for the church to invest its money in it, then it should have been good enough for me to invest my money in it. And he gave it to the church. It ain't hard to follow somebody like that. It's not hard to love a man who shows you what a number one position is. It's not hard who really puts his money where his mouth is. He literally did that. Invaluable are the people who come behind and support those circumstances. Not only that, you're going to find that people like her are always involved, whether you know it or not whether you know it or not. There are some people around here who I might not see Sunday to Sunday, but I know they've been here. Their presence and their ministry has been felt. They make sure they do their part every time. And I said it before, and you probably have heard me say, but I don't mind repeating it again because she's so wonderful and so gracious. It doesn't matter if I ever lay eyes on her on a Sunday. I know that when I stand down from here, on one of these Sundays and I'm perspiring, I sweat through my clothes like I have today, that there's gonna be a cold bottle of water sitting right down there for me. It might not mean anything to you, but the fact that Gloria makes it her mission for 20 years. She's been making sure that I got something to drink right there. She's not asking for nothing, she's a giver. Every Sunday, it's a small, humongous thing for me and I could go over and over this congregation with other situations just like that that happened every single Sunday that happened all through the year it was never such that you had to remind Harriet to get the daily bread it was gonna be here cuz that was her ministry It's our ministry. What's your ministry? What is it that you do? And all the work can not be done in this building. Yeah. Sometimes we got to get out in the highways and byways. And that's our mission. And I'm talking about serving your church. Not the church universal. Not the I give to the Salvation Army. Ain't nothing wrong with giving to the Salvation Army. Cass, no, don't take no offense to that, you know. <laughs> ain't no problem with that, you know. For those of y'all don't know, Cass and worked for the Salvation Army about 27 years. Yeah, we, we love the Salvation Army up in here. <laughs> in fact, the preacher who started the Salvation Army was a United Methodist minister. And he had a, he had a notion. His name was William Booth. And he had a notion as his ministry was going forward successfully in the United Methodist Church, that he would step away from the pulpit and actually go into the streets and start helping people because he saw such a great need in the streets. And so he went to his governing board and he told them he wanted to leave and go out into the streets. And his governing board told him no. They told him he was too great an asset to the United Methodist Church to let him leave the pulpit and pass in the church to go out into the streets. And his wife was in the assembly that day when they voted him down, when the elder stood up and said, no, you can't go. But watch this. His wife was in the balcony because women at that time were not allowed to sit on the floor of the assembly. And his wife broke protocol and stood up and said to him, I'm with you. And she came down and grabbed her husband's hand and said, do not let them discourage you. If she had not stood by her man, we wouldn't have the Salvation Army. But he didn't leave the church. He worked through the church in order to make the Salvation Army become what it was. But it was only because he had a solid her who supported him under the circumstances. The last thing I want to tell you fits that is that most of the time people like her are invisible. Sometimes they ain't even, they, she wasn't even allowed in the sanctuary. In the primary sanctuary. And yet her presence was felt. Yeah. And that's because some of the work that we do is just thankless. But it's so appreciated. And that's because people like her work and then other people get the recognition. Yeah, they just set you up. And everybody else gets the accolades. And The problem is some people need the accolades. They need the attaboys. They need the pats on the back in order to feel right. The problem is the Bible is clear. When you get the claps and the accolades, that's your reward. That is your reward. That's not the glory that the Lord wants to receive. That's your reward. If you seek that, then you get what you need. And the last thing I'm telling you, and I'm out of here, is that people like her are always investors. They're always investing in kingdom. They're always investing in other people. How do I know that? Well, I'm just imagining that on that day, Britt, that her and Aaron were standing up on that hill. There were a lot of people who paid attention to them. And one of the ones that was paying attention to them was a little boy. Yeah, he was a little boy. And it just so happened that that man standing up on his hill, not Aaron, because Aaron was of the priesthood, but her was his granddad. He paid attention to his granddad. And he watched his granddaddy stand up on that hill all day. He watched his granddaddy sweating, holding up Moses' arm. And it probably didn't affect anybody else in the camp like it was affecting this little boy. It's right here in the scripture if you read it. It's right here in the scripture. Yeah. And all day long, he watched his granddaddy hold his arms up. He watched him Take care of Moses. And at the end of the day, he watched his granddaddy come down off that mountain, worn out. And nobody said thank you. He watched his granddaddy go to the house. Nobody knew that if it wasn't for his granddaddy standing there, helping Moses, that things might not have gone the same way. But inside, he knew that his granddad had made a difference. And he learned from his granddaddy that sometimes you have to do big things and get little acknowledgement. He learned that from his granddaddy and it just so happened that when they finally moved out of the desert and they were going to build the temple that the Lord called that little boy's name who had watched his name, who had watched his granddaddy. The Lord specifically called his name. He was by that time, of course, an adult and he was identified as the chief for the temple that was going to be built and he my friend was the one who helped to design the ark of the covenant because and you don't know his name except for the time it's mentioned in scripture one time and it's also said in scripture that's how we know y'all that he is hers grandson his name is bazilu bazilu was the chief artisan on all of the fine handiwork that had to be done on the Ark of the Covenant for the temple because he learned from his granddad that you got to give back. Number two, number two, who you never heard of. I guarantee you there's some more number twos in here. There's some other kids who are watching you. There's some children who are watching how you apply, how you support, how you give, how you love. There are number twos in here, I mean, children in here who are gonna grow up to be number ones because you were their example. The question is, do you know they're watching? And I gotta tell you this, they're watching the good and the bad you do. Yeah, they're watching and they're listening to you. They're learning how to be supportive. My sadness today is that we're building a generation of children who all think they have to be number ones. Can I tell you, every child can't be a number one. It ain't that many number one positions. And so you got to learn how to teach your children to be what they are. If it's one, two, three, four, five, whatever it is, they got to be content in that space and know that they have something to contribute. But if they don't see you accept that, then they're not going to learn the lesson. I love the fact that Jesus did not ever have a problem cast of being number two. He never thought it was robbery to leave heaven and come to earth and die for somebody who didn't care about him. He didn't have a problem with that. He was okay. Why? The Bible says clearly throughout the Old Testament and particularly in Isaiah, he did it for one reason and one reason only. It pleased the Father. My daddy requires this. And just like Moses said, come here Joshua. Go over there and take care of this battle. God said, come here Jesus. Come here and take care of this sin problem they have. And Jesus came. And he was obedient. And he never mumbled or grumbled. In fact, he was obedient to death obedient to death and how do I know that God found favor in what he did Anthony the Lord reached into that grave three days after he was dead and put life back in it gave him new life all power the Lord blessed him. what a wonderful story but the news is this it's real life it happened for real it's not a fable just like it happened for being hurt from for her. <laughs> and Moses and Aaron. happened for Jesus too. Now you've just heard that Jesus Christ died for you. And you didn't know that it was possible that somebody who never met you before would give their life for you. I just came today to tell you that it's not only possible. The reality is they've been waiting on you to accept the gift. If you're here today, and you've never acknowledged or accepted that gift. Well, then now is the time for you to do so. I'm opening the doors to this church, but also welcoming you into our family. If you're here now, won't you come? Come on now. Today is the day. Okay. Hey, down at the altar.